Welcome to the Emancipate Your Mind podcast. I'm your host, certified religious transition and trauma recovery coach, Terry Hales. I help people step out of the shadows of religious fear and shame and embrace their authentic selves with love and empathy. If you're ready to throw off the shackles of learned binary thinking and explore a more nuanced approach to life, this is your playground. Welcome back to the Emancipate Your Mind podcast. Today, and honestly, for the next few weeks, we are going to be talking about a topic that gives people so much grief. It is something that we often feel shame about. It's something that we were taught not to feel, and yet it's really difficult to deconstruct without feeling this emotion. Today, we're going to be talking about anger. And before we get started, I want you to just pause for just a moment and really explore what you think you know about anger. For many of us, a lot of our thoughts and feelings about what anger is and whether it's acceptable and how it comes out of us and what it makes us do and who's responsible for that anger, a lot of that comes from our childhood. Perhaps we watched authority figures in our life deal with their own anger in ways that were probably unhealthy. For most of our caregivers, they weren't given the tools to healthily process through anger. You may have had family members that exploded in anger. Perhaps they were always on the verge of hulking out, right? If you remember in the Marvel movie, they ask Hulk what his secret is, and he says, you know, I'm always angry. You may have had a Hulk in your life. You may have had someone that the smallest little thing would set them off and they would explode in anger or rage. This may have even led to abuse. And so for you, you may have learned that anger is really dangerous. You may have responded to this anger in one of two different ways. You may have either adapted that explosive anger yourself in order to make yourself feel more powerful and to take back control in your life. Or you may have learned to swallow your anger to try to appease the person that was likely to explode and to try to keep their feelings in check. You may have taken on the responsibility for that person's feelings. You may have learned that anger wasn't okay for you to express because it would make the person who was bigger and had more power unpredictable and maybe dangerous. Or you may have had a parent that already was in the habit of swallowing their anger. Perhaps they became passive aggressive as a way to express their anger, or maybe they became like a pressure cooker where they would swallow anger, swallow anger, swallow anger, and then would explode every now and then. And their explosive episodes may have been really scary as well. Regardless of what you learned about anger, I want you to sit for just a minute, pause this if you need to, and really allow yourself to think about those experiences. What did you learn about anger as a child? Where did those messages about anger come from? When you think about anger, whose faces pop up in your head or whose voice do you hear? What has been your relationship with anger so far in your life? When you think about anger, do you have any feelings of what you should do or should feel or 
what your anger means about you. When you were growing up, was it safe to feel and express anger? Or was that something only certain people were allowed to feel or that no people were allowed to feel? In today's episode, what I really want to focus on, because so many of my clients struggle with anger just like I did, they struggle with understanding that they experience anger. Anger is part of the grief process. It's very rare to go through deconstruction without experiencing some grief, which means most of us experience some anger as well. And many of us were indoctrinated to believe that if we're angry, we're under Satan's influence. And so this can become kind of a catch-22 when we're deconstructing because on the one hand, we're feeling angry. And we're told that if we leave the church, we're in Satan's power. And this anger can sometimes make us feel really afraid or ashamed or weak or powerless because we were taught that that emotion was from Satan. Today, I'm here to dispel that myth. We're going to start today with why we get angry, really understanding the mechanics of what's going on that brings up this emotion. We're going to talk about why it's healthy that we get angry, and we're also going to talk about the benefits of getting angry, the benefits of allowing ourselves to feel through anger. A lot of today's episode is being drawn from Dr. Marsha Cannon's book, The Gift of Anger, which I highly recommend. Whether you have a pattern of exploding anger or you've had a history of swallowing or denying your anger. This book, and hopefully this series of episodes, will help you create a healthier relationship with your anger and help you grow faster than you may have ever done in the past. Our anger can actually work as a key to help us unlock what healthy changes need to be made in our life for us to feel safe, for us to feel secure, for us to feel connected, and for us to feel happy and at peace. It's crazy to think that, right? That our anger might be the key to helping us get more calm, more peace, more connection, and more joy. But it's absolutely true. It's been true in my life. I've seen it in my clients' lives, and the research points that way as well. The more we research anger, the more we're realizing anger can be a key to help us get the life we want and to really understand our inner emotional landscape. Stick with me in this episode and for the upcoming episodes, and we're really going to dig down and understand anger so that you can create a healthy relationship with it and get the benefits that you want. Okay, first of all, why do we get angry? So anger is our natural response when we have three ingredients. There's like a perfect storm that has to happen for anger to take place. The first one is that we have to judge the situation to be unfair. So we have a moral judgment that what we or someone we love is experiencing is not fair and that we deserve better, okay? The second ingredient is that we feel unable to calmly and easily right the wrong. So whatever it is that's going on, maybe we don't feel powerful enough to right the wrong. Maybe we don't feel like we have enough information. Maybe we feel like we're not in a position where we can right the wrong Or maybe it's just something random that happened in life and there is no righting the wrong. And the third thing is, is the experience is troubling enough that we can't simply tolerate it or let it go. 
It's something that is such a big deal in our lives that we can't just like shrug it off and pretend like it's not there or just swipe it off like a mild annoyance. And we're unable to release it because it is really affecting our lives. Now, this process of getting angry actually served a great evolutionary purpose. When our ancestors, both human and non-human, got angry, it told them that they had had enough of something and it gave them the power and the energy to make changes in order to protect themselves. And this served an evolutionary purpose because those who protect themselves, those who did something about the discomfort in their lives were more likely to survive. Now, I also want to talk about how anger has more to do with our estimation of the event and our ability to handle it than it does with the event itself. So let me explain. If you are going on a drive and the person in front of you is going super slow on a two-lane highway and you can't pass them, on any day where you're just out for a drive, it might be mildly irritating, but it might not enrage you. So in this situation, the event is mildly irritating. We might say that it's unfair. Remember, that's one of the ingredients of anger. We might look at that and say, this is unfair. I'm stuck behind this person going 30 in a 50, and this is ridiculous. I hate going this slow. We might decide that it's blameworthy. We might decide that it's unfair. But we might feel like, you know, I'm not in a hurry. This really isn't that big of a deal. It's annoying, but I can tolerate it. And so we don't get angry. We might sigh a little bit, but we don't get angry. However, if you get stuck behind this person when you're on your way to a career-changing interview, all of a sudden, everything changes. Because now, not only are you stuck behind this person driving 30 in a 50, and oh my gosh, come on, it says 50 for a reason, can you please go 50? But we can't hop in the car with the person and make them drive 50. We can't honk at them and make them wake up and go, oh my gosh, you're right, I should go 50. We can't do anything to make them go faster. We can't make the road wider so that we can pass them. We are stuck behind this person, at least for a stretch of time. And the whole time, we're thinking to ourselves, I have an interview to go to, and if I'm late, I might miss the opportunity of a lifetime. And so we can't just tolerate the fact that they are driving slow, and we can't let it go because the consequences feel too big in that circumstance. And so we get angry. And we fume behind our steering wheel. So anger has more to do with what is going on and the estimation we have of the experience and our feeling of being powerful enough to deal with that experience than it does with the event itself. If it were just the event, and often I know we like to blame the event, right? We like to blame that this thing happened and so I am angry, but it's not necessarily the case. Our circumstances and our feeling of power affect our anger. One of the things I love about anger, and I say that wholeheartedly, I used to be so afraid of anger. I used to stuff it. I was the pressure cooker kind. 
I would stuff, stuff, stuff. It wasn't okay for me to feel. And then there would be a straw that broke the camel's back. And then I would explode in anger. And then I'd feel really bad and I'd feel ashamed. And then I'd go back to stuffing my anger because anger was scary and it led to things that made me feel ashamed. And I repeated the cycle and stuffed and stuffed and stuffed anger until I ended up in a therapist's office being diagnosed with clinical depression. Now, while I was in that therapist's office, I learned that anger is an alarm bell. Anger lets us know when something has gone wrong in our life. It lets us know when our boundaries have been crossed. It lets us know when we've experienced an injustice. It lets us know when we're not protecting our own boundaries well enough. It lets us know when it's time to make a change. Or when we have a limiting belief that's getting in the way or an expectation of how things should go and we're not meeting up with that. It is one of the best ways to get curious because anger is impossible to ignore. I want you to think about that feeling inside of you. For me, when I'm angry, my heart starts beating fast. My shoulders get tight. My hands get sweaty. My face gets red. And because of years of conditioning, I also tear up a little bit, which is highly embarrassing for me, or at least it used to be. But I also tear up a little bit because in my house, it was not safe to feel angry, but it was safe to feel sadness. And so I often converted my anger into sadness as a way to express it and to move it through my body in a way that was safe and regulated my parents' emotions. When that happens, it is impossible to not know I'm angry. It is impossible to ignore those physiological symptoms. They're highly uncomfortable. Everything that we do physiologically with anger is meant to bring our awareness there. There's a reason that even the most disembodied Americans can name anger as one of the three emotions that they're aware of. We're typically aware of happiness when we're laughing and we're smiling. We're typically aware of sadness because it makes us cry. And we're typically aware of anger because it is so difficult to ignore. Anger makes us really, really uncomfortable, just like a fire alarm would make us really uncomfortable. It is really painful for me to listen to a fire alarm. It hurts my ears. Anger does the same thing. It's like the fire alarm going off. It's meant to be uncomfortable. It's meant to bring our awareness there. It's meant to make us pay attention. Once it gets our attention, we have a couple of options. We can either stay in that place that feels like the Hulk, right? When we're angry, we get this power surge. We feel bigger than we typically are. We might have the urge to fight, even if we're pint-sized versus whatever it is that we're fighting against. We might have the urge to flee, but we have that burst of speed to make us faster like an antelope. And when we're angry, we feel bigger, faster, stronger than we might normally feel. It gives us a power boost that leaves us feeling less vulnerable and less weak than we were feeling when we were triggered. We have the option to stay in that place and many of us do because we haven't learned how to move past that place, or we can use that alarm bell as a way to get curious with ourselves. In order to utilize our anger and to use it as a growth tool and as a self-exploration tool, we have to take that moment where we feel the discomfort 
and allow ourselves to pause. I'm feeling anger. What's going on? The alarm bells going off. Where's the fire? Instead of running out of the building or instead of fanning the flames, we pause and we say, where's the fire? What's going on? What started this fire? What's wrong in the scenario? In order for us to really do that, though, we have to believe it's okay to experience anger, that it's okay to feel it. What I'm going to do today is I'm going to actually go through some of Dr. Cannon's five attributes of anger to help us explore what the purpose of this powerful emotion is and how we can better harness it in our lives. Are you ready? So the first attribute of anger, when I read it, I was like, um, that's pretty obvious. But then the more I thought about it, I was like, actually, it's not that obvious. Attribute one of anger is that anger is normal. Every human you know. Every human experiences anger. We know we all get angry, but how often do you hear yourself or others speak about their anger as if it's a normal emotion we all experience? Not very often, right? How often do you hear somebody say, you know what? I'm angry and it's okay. It's normal. I hear that more often now that I'm in these healing spaces, but I didn't hear that very often before. I think it's getting more common in our society to hear, I'm feeling angry, that's okay, it's normal. My guess is though, you've heard more of these kinds of statements. I'm angry and it's someone else's fault or something else's fault, right? This comes from a feeling often that we could or should have been more powerful in this situation or that we should have had more control or that we should have woken up sooner or we should have protected ourselves better, and we didn't. We often resort to blame when we feel like what happened to us was because we didn't do enough, or that somehow we're deficient, and so sometimes we get stuck. Now, as we're exploring this, I want to be so clear. I know that many of you here listening have some big trauma. I am in no way, shape, or form saying that your trauma is your fault. I want to be so clear about that. Your trauma is not your fault. What we're talking about here is the anger you're experiencing, which is normal. When you experience harm and trauma, people crossing your boundaries, taking advantage of you, indoctrinating you, silencing your authentic self, it is normal to get angry. But what I'm saying is often when we blame other people for us experiencing anger, when we say, you make me angry, or you are in charge of my anger, we're giving our power away and we're not really getting curious with ourselves about why we're experiencing anger. So I want you to understand that when I'm saying I'm angry and it's someone else's fault, the harm you experienced may absolutely be someone else's fault, but your anger is yours and it's for your benefit. By giving it to someone else or giving the blame or the responsibility to someone else, we actually do ourselves a disservice because then we don't get to learn from it and we don't get to learn how to set the boundaries and how to protect ourselves and how to fight against injustice and how to do things that will protect us and get us more of what we want, okay? 
if something else is coming up for you and you're like, no, I don't agree, please let's have a conversation. I'm here to learn from your experience and to have a discussion with you from what I can tell from the research and from my own experience and from the experience of my clients. What I'm seeing so far is that trauma and harm can definitely be someone else's fault. Our anger about that, though, is giving us information about what we want to change to protect ourselves. Our anger doesn't belong to anyone else. It belongs to us because it's meant for us to process. Hope that's clear. I know that that can be a minefield and it can be really difficult just in voice without us being able to have a conversation. So, dear listener, if you're listening to that and you're pissed off, it's okay. Use that anger to figure out what you want to tell me and let's have a conversation. I'm a big girl. I can handle it. Okay. The next thing we might hear people say is, I'm angry and I have to hide because good people don't get angry or godly people don't get angry or I should be more enlightened than this. This response comes from the shame of feeling like anger means you're not a good, godly, or enlightened person. So if you have the belief that good people or enlightened people don't get angry and you experience anger, it will feel like shame. Shame will come up with your anger because you're not supposed to experience this because you're supposed to be better than this feeling. So when you feel like anger is a bad emotion, you feel like a bad person when you feel it. And if you remember, shame says you're a bad person. That's the message that shame delivers to us. Dr. Cannon says there are many ways to think about anger, but only when we think of it as normal. If we think only bad people experience it, or if we feel like people can take away our power and that it means that we're weak if we experience it or that we're powerless if we experience it, we're not going to get curious with it and we're not going to learn from it. If we think of it as normal, it's therefore potentially useful. And then we can take the time to really explore and understand our anger. Okay, so attribute one was that anger is normal. Attribute two says that anger covers vulnerable and painful feelings. These are often things that make us feel smaller or weaker and therefore in need of the power boost anger gives us. I want you to think about the last time you were angry. What Other feelings were you feeling alongside the anger? Were there any painful feelings or vulnerable feelings that made you feel smaller or weaker? I want you to listen as I read through these common emotions that accompany or are covered by anger and see which ones bring up an emotional response. Abandoned. Afraid. Ashamed belittled, betrayed, controlled, criticized, disrespected, helpless, humiliated, hurt, ignored, impatient, inadequate, invisible, manipulated, overpowered, Overwhelmed, rejected, shamed, slighted, unappreciated, unfairly treated, 
taken for granted. What happens is we all feel some of these things some of the time, but when we're feeling one or many of these things at once, and we feel so vulnerable that we see the person or situation as not only unacceptable, but too powerful to face without the protective power boost that anger provides us, we will get angry as a protective mechanism. Our anger is there not just to be the fire alarm and tell us something's wrong. There's a reason it comes with a powerful boost to our adrenaline and to our ability to get blood to our limbs. There's a reason for that. Blood flows from our head. We divert less blood to our executive functions Our amygdala takes over. That's our fight or flight brain. It's our lizard brain, if you will, the survival brain. And our blood vessels dilate so that we can get more blood into our limbs to either fight with or to flee. Our heart goes faster to make sure that we're pumping nutrients and oxygen to all of our extremities. Our digestive system temporarily slows down so that we're not using as much energy there. Our pupils focus so that we can accurately see the threat. And all of this happens to make us feel faster, more powerful, and we get this kick of adrenaline and this kick of energy so that we can actually get into motion to escape or to confront the threat. This happens because we feel small, weak, or powerless when confronted with an issue or with a person. And so we get this hit of adrenaline because we don't feel equal to the task of dealing with it. So I want you to take some time and think about what feelings usually come up with your anger. And they might be right alongside your anger or the anger might be covering those more vulnerable feelings. Kind of like a protective older sibling might protect their younger siblings. Anger comes in with the muscles, comes in with the loud voice to protect those vulnerable, painful feelings underneath. Attribute number three is that anger is uniquely personal. We don't all get angry at the same things. What makes you angry may only make another person feel mildly annoyed and might make even another person just feel neutral about it. We get angry at different things because of our different emotional histories. Anger is like an emotional fingerprint in this way. Your anger pattern may overlap with someone else's, but it won't be exactly the same, which is what makes it so powerful with getting to know yourself emotionally. The emotional reaction, like we said earlier, is noticeable. It is really hard to ignore anger. Because anger is so deeply personal, it can tell us a lot about ourselves. Now, for the next week, I actually want to challenge you to do something. Between now and our next episode, I'm going to challenge you to keep an anger journal. It's going to tell you so much much about yourself. You can either do this in written form or you can use voice memo notes if that's easier for you. You can use your driving time to get curious about this or your nighttime routine or your morning routine or your shower time, whatever works for you. 
But what I want you to do is keep an anger journal to uncover your anger patterns. First, go back and revisit times of day that you were angry and what happened. Get curious with your intensity of anger. On a scale of 1 to 10, how intense was it? Can you give it a name? Was it more like annoyance or was it more like irritation, exasperation, resentment, frustration, anger, fury, rage? Where were you on that scale of 1 to 10 with 1 being really mild and 10 being like really, really, really angry? What other vulnerable feelings come up with the anger? How long did you stay angry each time? And then after a week, look for your patterns. What kinds of experiences brought up anger? How are they similar? How are they different? How did the intensity of your anger vary? Did you find that you were like all over the place? Some things just made you mildly annoyed. Other things made you like super angry. Or were you kind of at a steady pace of anger for all of the experiences? What vulnerable feelings showed up the most often with your anger? Remember, they're going to be either right alongside the anger or just right underneath your anger. When you drop down out of anger, what else were you feeling? And it's okay if you can't name it, but maybe get curious with that. Maybe look up on Google a list of emotions and get curious with, was this something in the shame family? Was it something in the fear family? Was it something in the grief family? Was there sadness? Guilt? Was I feeling powerless? Use whatever words come up. There is no right or wrong way to do this. What were the other feelings that were coming up right underneath that anger? What else did you notice? As you keep this anger journal, you're going to start to notice your patterns. You may even start to notice emotions. You're getting curious with what the anger is trying to tell you. It's trying to show you what's not working in your life. It's trying to show you where some adjustments need to be made. And as you get curious with your anger, it'll speak to you more and more and give you more and more information. As we make it safe to experience anger, it's almost like it gives anger permission to open up and say what it's really wanted to say all along. It'll tell you things that may be uncomfortable It'll tell you things that you might be really afraid to deal with. There might be consequences to changing things up in order to get what you need to feel happy and safe. And that's part of the reason you've been getting angry. The things it might be trying to tell you, maybe you haven't wanted to deal with yet. I want you to remember that no one is here to pressure you to deal with things before you're ready. But just being aware of what the issue is, even if you decide not to do anything about it yet, can give you your power back and can help you manage your anger from a more empowered state instead of feeling powerless against the things that are happening to you and around you. Attribute number four goes hand in hand with attribute number three. We don't get angry at the same things because our anger is so deeply personal. It's based on our personal history. What makes our anger so unique is that it's based on the unique set of beliefs we've learned from the experiences that formed our personal histories. You, like everyone else, have your own beliefs about yourself and your world. And these beliefs are based on what you've learned from your past. So if you had parents that loved and accepted you exactly the way you were, you grew up believing that showing up as you are is valid and acceptable. 
But perhaps you grew up with parents that had childhood trauma of their own, and you may have learned that it might not have been safe to show up as all of you. Those different experiences are going to color the way you view the world. They're going to color the way you view yourself. They're going to color what you can expect from the world. Our parents and authority figures may have passed down some of their own beliefs. And we usually absorb these when we were small children, long before we were able to realistically evaluate what we were learning. And honestly, by the time we were able to realistically evaluate what we were learning, we had just accepted these things as truth. We didn't even think to evaluate them because it's just the way the world was. Some of the beliefs we picked up on our own. We may have drawn conclusions about things that happened to us from observing other people's body language, their actual verbal language, or watching what happened to other people. Now, sometimes our parents may have said something to us and we may have misunderstood and we picked up a belief from that. And sometimes we understood perfectly and we picked up a belief. Some of our beliefs from our childhood are accurate, but a lot of them are inaccurate. Or maybe they were accurate when we learned them, but they're no longer accurate now because they're outdated and her circumstances have significantly changed. So maybe as a child, if you got the message that you were clumsy, maybe you were when you were learning to walk. All of us are. But maybe you're not clumsy anymore. Maybe you're graceful. Maybe you've grown into the ability to be coordinated and you move through the world in a very graceful fashion, but you're still operating from messages that you received when you were two about your ability to walk without running into things or spilling things. Maybe you weren't a great artist when you were five years old, but maybe you've worked on those skills a lot and maybe you are a fantastic artist now. Many of us carry around beliefs. Maybe we were told we couldn't make decisions on our own as a child because our parents wanted to make sure that we stayed safe. Whether they were well-intended or not, that has changed now that we're adults. We're capable of making decisions on our own from our inner knowing that can bring us happiness and joy, and we can trust ourselves to make wise decisions. We've grown a lot since we were five years old. We know how to use logic and reason, but we also know how to use our feelings and our inner guidance to get what we want. Things have changed since we're five, and we no longer have to operate from the belief that we're incapable of making decisions without guidance from our parents. We can discard that if it's no longer serving us. We often have cultural beliefs that we've picked up as well that color the way we believe we and the world should behave. And just a few of these are, if I'm a good person, good things will happen to me. If I work hard, I'll succeed. It's not always the case. We like to feel like we're in control. We like to feel like the world is predictable, but it's not always predictable. And we can get really angry when our beliefs say that something should happen a certain way and they don't. And I'm not saying that that anger doesn't serve a purpose. Please understand your anger serves a purpose. But one of the things it might be inviting you to do is to check out your beliefs about how things should work, how they do work and what you want to do about it. So I want you to take some time in that anger journal of yours this week and just explore the times when you get angry. What are some of the beliefs behind those times that you got angry? How should the world work? What should have happened? What should you have been able to do to prevent it? 
And I'm not saying you can. I'm just saying listen for those messages. What should have been different? Listen for all of the shoulds and write them down. It can be a really enlightening experience to both write them down and then get curious with them. Where did those messages come from? How old were you the first time you heard those messages? And are those shoulds, are those beliefs serving you? Do you still believe that's the way things should be? If so, how can you utilize your anger to work towards making things that way? How can you listen to your anger in a way that it can inform you on what you can do and how you can be empowered working towards making the world a safer, kinder, and more just and more accepting place? Sometimes when we look at our shoulds, we figure out, you know what? Sometimes life isn't fair. Sometimes random things happen. Sometimes we're hit by a hurricane. Sometimes we lose our job. Sometimes people die. Sometimes we get sick. And we might decide that we want to readjust how we think life should be so that we feel empowered to care for ourselves. And then last, attribute number five, anger offers the potential for change. All of us have experiences where our anger finally gave us the strength and courage to make necessary healthy changes in our lives for our well-being. When we use the discomfort of anger to bring awareness to what is causing us pain, we're empowered to make healthy changes. So I want you to think about times in your life where you used to feel really angry about something, but you don't anymore because you use that discomfort to then confront the source of the pain and to make necessary healthy changes. Maybe you had a job that was making you feel soulless and you applied for a new job. Or maybe you talked to your boss and you talked about the overwhelming workload and how it was killing you slowly from the inside out. You used the discomfort of your anger to motivate you to then go make changes that would make life more comfortable and more bearable for you. Anger is uncomfortable for a reason. It's meant to be uncomfortable so that we'll address it, so that we'll learn from it, and so that we'll make healthy changes in our life. Maybe we use our anger to pinpoint where our relationships don't feel safe, and we can get curious about what it is about those relationships that don't feel safe, where we don't feel accepted, where we feel hurt or abused, or where we feel traumatized. My guess is that in some time in the past, you've used your anger as a motivator to modify your relationships. It's either given you the courage to go and have a difficult conversation with someone about changes that need to happen in order for you to feel safer and more connected in a relationship. Or perhaps it empowered you to break off a relationship with someone who was being abusive or hurtful or just insensitive towards you on a regular basis. These are changes you made because of the discomfort of your anger. Your anger has allowed you to grow. It's allowed you to make your life a healthier place. I want you to take a moment and celebrate how you've used your anger for growth. You're designed for growth. You're designed to take experiences and to distill information from them and increase your consciousness. That is what the human brain and body is designed to do, to take in stimuli, to learn from it, to distill information from it, and to grow and to learn more and more about ourselves and the world and to innovate and create from that place. 
Anger helps you do this by bringing your attention to the places in your life that need care and healthy change. Your anger can be a driving force to help you understand what those changes are and how to bring those changes about. Your anger is not the enemy. It never was the enemy. Your anger is trying to protect you and then to inform you. Your anger is trying to give you the courage and the strength to make those changes. It's trying to guide you to the life that you long to live. So the next time you feel anger, instead of pushing it aside, pushing it down, or getting really big with it, use that alarm bell to pause and get curious and listen to what it's saying. Allow yourself to talk with it and hear what it's trying to tell you because it will help you and guide you towards that life that you're looking for. I can almost hear those of you who are raised in households with explosive anger or who have used explosive anger yourself saying, but anger has brought me so much harm. There's a lot of things that are really scary about it and destructive about it. That is valid. We're going to be talking about that next week. But I wanted to start here with how your anger is trying to communicate with you and benefit you before we moved on to how to deal with the destructive aspects of anger and why we get stuck in those and how that happens in the first place and how we can move out of destructive anger into healthy anger. So thank you so much for joining me to talk about the gifts of anger. And next week, we will talk about the difference between destructive anger and healthy anger and how to work through your destructive anger tendencies and move into healthy anger. Please make sure if this was helpful for you, that you take a screenshot of it, share it in your social media. But thank you so much, everyone, for tuning in. And I look forward to talking with you a little bit more about anger next week.